Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. God has invited us into a unique relationship with Him. It's a personal invitation. He says, come to me. It's an invitation with a purpose. He says, learn from me. And a plan. He says, you come to me and you learn from me and I will make you fishers of men. But he has also invited us to something that we need to understand. And that is a spiritual battle. Because the devil will not go quietly into the night. He will not leave us to do whatever we seek to do to change this world for the glory of God. He will fight us. He will resist us. He will find ways to discourage us from that which God calls us to do and who God calls us to be. I I was uh, looking on Facebook a couple of days ago and my trying to get my sleep patterns adjusted <laughs> and uh, I, I found a note on there from a young lady that grew up in this church she graduated uh, from one of our schools about 10 or 12 years ago and uh, one of the good things about Facebook is you get to kind of reconnect with people that you've lost connections with and you don't know where they are where they ended up or how their life ended up. And, and uh, that's been good as far as people I went to high school with. Some of them I really wish I wasn't reconnected with. But, uh, uh, but uh, to, to see some of the people, I, I remember a young uh, Jewish boy that played basketball for us at SCA. And we reconnected about five years ago. And he's given his heart to Christ and he's serving the Lord. And he wants to use his gifts and his abilities for God. Then I got a long note from a young lady who was only in our church for about two years. And she wrote me a letter on Father's Day. And she said, I I just need to say some things to you that you probably don't know. And she began to talk about how before she ever came to church here, she watched on television. And she said, and I took notes, she said, because I didn't have a good home. And she went into a lot of details about her home. And I'm pretty familiar with her home situation She really had no father figure. She said, I learned about God as a father by watching you with your two daughters. And she said, it helped me to understand your passion and your desire for them to be what God wanted them to be helped me to understand what God the Father wanted me to be. And I walked in this morning and five or six of our young people handed me prayer cards of encouragement. You want to know why I do what I do? Outside of the obvious, the glory of God. You want to know why I do what I do? You know why I'm adamantly passionate about what I do? Because of what sits right over here. And because of the little kids that are sitting by you in church right now. 
Because if nobody else in this world is going to care about them, I'm going to care about them. And I am passionate for the kind of church and the kind of people we need to be so that these young men and women and these children and the preschoolers yet to ever walk inside this building will one day know that God has a plan for their lives and they don't need to settle for anything else. There is an opportunity before us to raise a generation for Christ. Jesus told us the kind of world that he would walk us into. He didn't save us and take us out of this world so that we could just live in the sweet by and by. Jesus saved us and put us in a world to be his witnesses, to be his light, to be his salt. He never intended for his disciples to just meditate on themselves and what's in it for them and how can I get the most out of this. It was always driven to what is God's plan for my life? How does the Father want to use me to bring about his glory on this earth? And so I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. It says chapter 2 and verse 15. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And I want you to read these words, maybe like you've not read them before. I want you to read these words the way that God showed me these words this week. Now, I worked on this message three weeks ago, but God showed me this week some new things in this message. And I want you to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 and read it this way. This is Paul under the inspiration and the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul the Apostle pouring into Timothy the pastor, telling him about what his church was going to be like. Now read it. This is not Paul talking about the world. This is a letter to a pastor about the world and the church that Timothy will be required to lead. And he's timid. He's afraid to do it. Verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. What's in it for me? What are y'all going to do for me? Lovers of money, they'll rob God. By the way, every time we rob God, we believe the line from the movie Wall Street, greed is good. And if your children sit by you in church and you never put anything in the offering plate, what you teach them every Sunday, you are discipling them to be greedy, not to be givers and to be gracious. We teach by our example, not just by our words. Boastful. Doesn't matter what God says, this is what I think. Arrogant, resistant revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, what have you done for me lately, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now you say, well, that's the world. You, you know, you, you got it wrong, pastor. That's the world. No, it's not. Read on. Read it in context. Holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power 
avoid such men as these. New Living Translation translates that verse this way. They'll act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Paul is writing to Timothy and says, Timothy, you're going to be surrounded by people that will act religious but reject the power that makes them godly. The very thing that could change their life, they will reject it, they will ignore it because within them is a desire to look good but not be good. To fit in but not to stand out. And so he writes them, and then in verse 14, he he gives a word of warning to Timothy. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and been convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. In in other words, he's... He's reminding Timothy, when you see this happening, you, however, be different. You stand up for what God poured into your life. And you always remember, you didn't get here on your own. You know, I I didn't get to where I am on my own. People poured into my life. I mentioned that at the very beginning of this series, the men and and the Sunday school teachers and the youth pastor and the pastors and other people that have poured into me. And taught me and held me to a high standard. I got Twitter messages this morning from some of my pastor friends. Exhorting me. Challenging me. Stretching me. You see, none of us ever gets beyond needing to remember that we're responsible for what we've been given. And the greater the church... And the greater the opportunities and the greater the evidences of the presence of God, the more accountable we are before God. Listen, it will be easier on Judgment Day for people in churches that don't believe the Bible than it will be for the members of Sherwood Baptist Church who have heard much and done not as much as they should. Because if they had heard what you had heard, they would have repented and been saved by now. We are responsible for what we hear. We are responsible to act on what we hear. So he says to Timothy, here's what's going to happen, and, and here's how you need to respond. And, and, I, and I know I, 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 am a, I am a man out of season because what the world wants today is a cotton candy gospel that tastes good, but it rots your teeth. And you don't give your kids cotton candy all the time because you don't want to pay the dental bills. And they won't be healthy. And what we need today in our churches and in our lives is an appetite for the Word of God. A desire and a hunger and taste buds that are sensitive to tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And we can look around and we can say, well, you know, who would have ever thought we would live in a world where you couldn't pray in school, where Gideons couldn't hand out Bibles, where our values are mocked, where we've got people running for office that are voting for abortion and killing lives. Who would ever thought that? Well, my question is, who would ever thought the church that Jesus died for would look as bad as it looks? That's right. I mean, here we are in America, and there are two 
1,000 unreached people groups just within our 48 states, continental United States. 2,000 unreached people groups. People that have not been reached, that have no witness, that has no evangelical fervor. And guess what? The majority of the church in America doesn't care. Here's what I believe is happening in America. I believe America is at a crossroads. And I believe the American church is at a bigger crossroads than America is. And it's not dependent on the election that happened a few weeks ago. And it's not dependent on the election in 2012. If you think the destiny of America is in the hands of the Democrats and the Republicans, you have missed the whole point. Here's what I believe God is doing. This is my humble and accurate opinion, which I highly respect. Here's what I believe God is doing. I believe that God is very, very slowly and subtly removing his hand of protection and blessing and peace and covering off of America. And he's doing it so that we will, if we are sensitive, we will wake up and say, God, don't take your hand off of us. Don't remove your blessings from us. Don't remove your power from us. That, that we are watching the hand of God removed. And if we don't respond correctly, it'll go off and we will forever get the kind of leaders we deserve. You hear people saying, well, they're just not any good candidates. That's the judgment of God. Well, where are the people that stand for moral values? That's the judgment of God because we've not responded when we've had a chance to respond. And we can talk about it that the problem is in politics, but judgment begins at the house of God. Amen. It doesn't begin on the White House and on Obama, and it doesn't begin on Nancy Pelosi. It, it begins on us. It begins with me and with you. That's where it begins. Can you imagine? I, I, I just want you to step back in time a little bit. Okay, we, we've had the privilege of being in Israel the last uh, 11 days this month. And, and I'm grateful for a personnel committee that invests in our staff that when they've been here 10 years, they'll send them on a trip, not for a vacation and not for sightseeing and not for picture taking, but it's an investment in their ministry so they're better ministers when they come back here because the Bible comes more alive to them. We've invested in them. We haven't spent anything. We've invested in them. Amen. I want you to imagine. I just want you to imagine. I want you to imagine when the Babylonians came in. I want you to imagine this dad sitting down by his little Jewish boys saying, Dad, where are we going? We're going to Babylon, son. Well, why are we going to Babylon? Do you get another job? Nope. You can get another job. We're going to be slaves to a master. Well, why are we going there, Dad? Well, son, you know, I just didn't think offering sacrifices and serving God with my whole heart was as really important. And I began to have idols in my life and in my heart. And you know, you know how your mom and I just kind of laughed at the priest in the synagogue and said he just took God too seriously, that God would never judge us. You, you remember that conversation we had at the dinner table that day when I said, 
hey, God made a promise to Abraham. He's not about to send us into captivity. Remember that preacher we went to hear that told us we didn't have anything to worry about. Everything's going to be fine. God's not going to judge Israel. God has a covenant with Israel. Well, son, I'm going to live and you're going to live and I'm going to die and you're probably going to die in captivity because we didn't pay attention to God. And that little boy looks up at his daddy and says, Daddy, why? And if that daddy's honest, he's going to have to say, because of me. It's my fault. I dropped the ball. I stumbled. I let other things become important to me. Son, you're going to spend your life as a, as a slave to a taskmaster. And you're going to miss the blessings of God. And you're never going to see that temple again because of me. It's my fault. How'd you like to be the dad explaining to your little Jewish son who's grown up believing he's a child of covenant and a child of promise through whom Messiah will come and has to say to him, we missed God's best. By the way, some of us in this room may have to explain that to our children. Because it will happen on our watch. Our watch. Not our grandparents' watch. Not Washington's watch. It will have happened on our watch. And I want to ask you, Mom and Dad, how are you going to explain to your children when God takes his hand of blessing off your family why they're suffering because of your lack of obedience? I want to ask you, Mom and Dad, when... Nothing works and government can't bail us out and write us any checks anymore. How are you going to explain to your kids that you didn't trust God with a tithe? And so since you didn't trust God with a tithe, the devourer came and took all you had. Because you didn't believe God for what God had for you. I want to ask you, can you look your kids in the eyes right now and say... Our house is serving the Lord. I'm investing in you to raise up a young man or a young woman that loves God. That is solely committed, first and foremost, above everything else. That Christ might be magnified in our home. Well, that brings me to three questions. And here's what I'm going to ask. This is going to be hard. I'm going to ask every child in this room to write these questions down. And I'm going to ask you to ask your mom and dad at lunch today what their answers are to these questions. And mom and dad, I'm going to ask you when they ask you to be honest. And if you can't answer them the right way, then I'm going to ask you to fall on your face before a holy God and ask him that you not be the cause of your children stumbling. Because this is serious. Question number one. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well pleased? When you look in the mirror in the morning, when you go about your daily activities, is the Lord well pleased? I mean, is God pleased with your life? I didn't ask you if God loves you. God loves you unconditionally. Uh, the question I'm asking you, is the Lord well pleased 
with your life? This is a, this is a passion question. Look, look at verse 15, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, I want you to just underline that little phrase, who does not need to be ashamed. What does that mean? Well, the pattern for that is Jesus. Three times it is said of Jesus in the gospel, the Father says of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said in the book of Hebrews that it was his pleasure to do the Father's will. Now, here's the picture. Is the Lord well-pleased? Jesus obviously was well-pleasing to his Father. Is the Lord well-pleased? Am I pleasing to God as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter, as a church member? Am I pleasing to God? Here's what's going on. Jesus delighted in pleasing his Father, and his Father delighted in Jesus having that motive. He delighted in God delighted in the Son because God delighted because the Son delighted in the Father's will. Is it our delight to do the will of God, or is it just a drudgery? Is it just something we feel like we ought to do, and maybe God will answer the next prayer we pray? Jesus was obsessed with doing his Father's will. Listen. You and I are either thermostats or thermometers. If we're a thermometer, we're just registering the temperature. If we're a thermostat, we're adjusting the temperature. I don't know what it's like in your house. I'm hot, Terry's cold. I'm cold, Terry's hot. She goes adjust the thermostat. I go back and adjust it. I wait until she gets in bed, then I go mess with it, and then she gets up, and then she goes turns it, you know. Why? Because we're trying to control the thermostat. Listen, moms and dads, you are the thermostat in your home. And if your kids are cold or lukewarm, it's because of you. Because you adjust the spiritual temperature in your house. I don't. I see you a couple hours a week. You adjust the spiritual temperature in your house. You decide if it's going to be hot for the Lord. I'm not the one that gets to decide that. Our job at the church is to try to help you keep your house hot for God. But we can't come in and adjust your thermostat in your time with your family. You have to do that yourself. Second question. Is the work well done? Is the work well done? This is a passion for excellence. He says, be diligent. It's the idea of zealous persistence until a task is accomplished or until an objective is met. Be diligent. Be persistent, taking the maximum effort. You know, America's got talent, but it's got no character. It's got potential, but it's not living up to it. And the church has the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where's the second mile mentality? What, what, what would keep us from being diligent? 
Well, let me make some suggestions. Number one, living with no clear sense of direction. Living with no clear sense of direction. See, just because we get older doesn't mean we have direction and doesn't mean we're maturing. Amen. Uh, you, you can be 25 years old and be very mature, and you can be 85 years old and be very immature. Right. Uh, just because we're getting older doesn't mean we're getting wiser. Uh, is there a clear sense of direction? I mean, really, what are you going to do when you grow up? I mean, really. When you really grow up, what are you going to do? What are you going to have given yourself to? What is your sense of direction? Well, I move from job to job and town to town and thing to thing and stuff to stuff. And, or do you have a clear sense of purpose of why you're here? You know, God didn't put you here to just bounce around like a ball inside of a pinball machine. God puts you here with a specific direction for your life. Amen. And he gave you days in which to do that. And a lifetime in which to leave an influence and make an impact. No clear sense of direction. You, you just bounce wherever, what, wherever the wind's blowing, whatever people are saying, however other people feel. You just kind of end up going with that. And you'll be tossed about just going from one thing to another and having no clear path to walk on. Secondly, living without a thought of sacrifice. Living without a thought of sacrifice. Now, let me give you another thought under this. The service that counts is the service that cost. David said, I'm not going to give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. The service that counts is the service that cost. Now, here's what happens to us. And I am a medium adult. Actually, AARP says I'm a senior adult, but I'm not going to go there. But I'm a meeting adult, and here's what I know my age group does. Here's what I know my age group does. So some of you are in my age group, some of you are older. Maybe some of you who are older do this, but here's what I know my age group does. Hey, I've raised my kids. I've done my duty. I'm buying me an RV, a beach house, and I'm taking off. It's somebody else's job take care of the kids and worry about the next generation I've done what I'm supposed to do really is that the kind of attitude you want from people who will take care of your grandchildren in another church somewhere is that really the attitude you want for the people that teach your children your grandchildren and invest in them you see, how can you expect sacrifice and service from others when you make excuses for yourself? Every week we have a list that goes around and we have way too many meeting adult and senior adult Sunday school classes when we need one or two people helping in our preschool area. We have too many of those lists coming back blank because we would rather sit, soak, and sour than serve. And in a church this size, we ought to be able to say, you know what, we've got more workers than we need today. Y'all go on into church. Not be wondering where our workers are and why our workers don't take investing in the next generation seriously. 
So when that list hits your class this week or next week, don't dare send it in blank. Because what you've basically said is, I will not sacrifice for anyone else. It's all about me. It's about my comfort and what I do. And if you justify it, take that before the Lord. Take it and put it by a communion cup and put it by the broken body of Jesus and see how he responds to that. See if he accepts your, well, I'm going to take the next 30 years off to do whatever I want to do. And I would ask you a question. What purpose are you serving God on this earth for? Maybe it's better if you just move on to heaven because at least there you got something to do. Is the Lord well served? You see, there's a direct correlation between the price you pay and the influence you have. Uh, turn to Matthew 6. We're going to push through in this last part a little bit. Matthew 6 and verse 19. You know these verses. I just want to kind of walk you through them very quickly. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or mammon. So here's some self-examination questions. Verse 19, do I live for myself or others? Do I live for myself or others? That's, that's a good question. Everybody ought to ask that question. Verse 21, am I materialistic or am I a giver? Am I materialistic or am I a giver? Verse 22 and 23, am I focused on the temporal or the eternal? Where's my focus? Am I, am I looking big picture or am I just looking on the temporal right now? Question number four, do I want God or money to master me? That's verse 24. Do I want God or money to master me? And then in verse 33, do I seek his kingdom on a daily basis? Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Question number three, is the word well used? Is the word well used? Going back to what Paul wrote to Timothy, he says we are to accurately handle the word of truth. That's a, a word of precision. It means to cut straight. It is a picture of a, of a mason laying a straight line of stones. It is a picture of a road cut straight through. It, it, it's an image of a surgeon making an incision only where he has to make. Now, now, years ago, I had gallbladder surgery before they did the chicken an easy way through the navel. You know, and so right here, I have a nine-inch scar, a straight line. When the surgeon went in to take my gallbladder out, he didn't say, well, let's start over here. I said, maybe we ought to go up here. I say, oh, I, wonder, I wonder what it looks like in here. I say, let's go up here. And let, now let's cut down to here, and then let's go over here. Well, I've got one straight line. I'm glad I healed up a little easier because he did it that way. I mean, when you want a surgeon to cut, you want him to cut as short as he can cut as quick as he can and to get out right 
And, and Paul said to Timothy, cut to the point and cut it straight. Don't, don't get out on, on these things and, and make sure that you are accurately handling the Word of God. And so what's the evidence that I'm doing this? First of all, I long to know the Word. I have a longing to know the Word. The Word's not just a book that I carry around with me or that I pick up on Sunday. The book is, a, is one that I long to know. Now, when, when you go to a job, when you go to start a new job, they may give you a training manual. And, and so let's, let's just say that, that you're working with heavy equipment or you're working in a thing where you put your hand in the wrong place, you don't have a hand anymore. And, and so you walk in and say, you know what? I graduated from high school. I don't have time to read a manual. I just want a job and a paycheck. And you stick your hand in there and all of a sudden you lose it. And there's a, there's a page in the manual that says, do not put your hand here while machinery is in operation. But you didn't take time to read it. It was a warning. It's not the manual's fault, not the company's fault you cut your hand off. It's your fault because you didn't read the manual. Guess what? When we walk off the edge of a cliff, when we blow it, when we end up doing things that cost us in our lives and in our families, it's typically because we've not read the manual. We don't know the Word of God. Amen. We don't know what God has said and why God has said it. And so we don't know how to defend our faith. We don't know how to stand up for truth because we don't know enough truth. And in fact, we know just enough truth to be dangerous. Let me ask you something. If you knew as much about your job and your work as you know about the Bible, how good of an employee would you be? Most Christians would be fired for incompetence or inability to understand how to complete a task. How well do I know the word? Learn to handle the word. Learn to handle the word. Many people are overexposed and underdeveloped. They're like a bad picture. Learn to handle the word. And then I, I need to impart what I've learned. Why is discipleship so important? Why is raising the next generation so important? It's important because of this. The only thing that's going to last for all eternity is the word of God and the souls of men. That's it. The only thing you're going to take to heaven with you are people that you've led to Christ and people that you've influenced for Christ. That's it. And the Word of God. Those are the only two things. Your house is not going. Your car is not going. Your bank account's not going. Jesus said you lay up treasures in heaven. So everything you're not laying up in heaven is going to be gone. Okay, hear me well. Everything you're laying up on earth is going to be gone. Only that which you lay up in heaven is going to go with you. And so I want to give you three questions. It's a good lunch table discussion. Rather than uh, talk about everything else, why don't you ask yourself these three questions in your home? Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well pleased? Is the work well done? And is the word well used? Three simple questions. Is the Lord well, well pleased? Can, can I look at myself and honestly, not just between me and Jesus, not anybody else in the church looking at just me and Jesus, 
Can I honestly say today that the Lord is well pleased with my life? I didn't ask you, does the Lord love you? That's a given. But you know, you can love somebody and not be pleased with their behavior. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the work well done? Now, some of you are doing too many jobs because some of you are not doing any jobs. And can I tell you, the work that God has called this church to do, we have everything we need to do it, but we've got some people that keep taking breaks and sitting on the sidelines and wanting to know what time break time is and not putting their hands to the plow and going to work. We got some people overworked. We're like a foot, we're like an Auburn Georgia football game yesterday. We got a hundred thousand people in the fan in the stands badly in need of exercise, and twenty-two people on the field badly in need of a break. We're way too much in the category of observing and not working. Is the work well done? So, well, you know, I see some things around here that need to be done. What are you doing about it? Maybe you're supposed to do something about it. And is the word well used? In your home, are you leading your home by worldly principles? Or are you leading your home by the word? Are you investing the word in your kids so that they know the word, love the word? long to obey the word or is it just something that just kind of comes up every now and then can you answer the questions can you take the stand influence and impact and every day God gives you breath with the people that live under your roof and the people that work with you at work and the people that go to school with you, you have an opportunity to influence and to impact. So, let's sit down for a second. How'd we get here? Well, you know, there was a season when God's hand was really on Sherwood. And man, you could just sense the presence of God. What happened? I don't know. We started taking credit for that which God will only take credit for. We started patting ourselves on the back of how we were the biggest church in the region and we had done this and done that. and We started being prideful about who we were and what we had done. Well, what would your advice be? Well, I'd tell you what the prophets tried to tell the children of Israel. Return, O Israel, to the God of your salvation. So that he might remove his hand of judgment. And might turn back our enemies. That we may once again... Enjoy his favor. 
Daddy, what happened to the temple? God left it. He removed himself. The glory has departed. It wasn't because God wanted his glory to depart. It's because his people didn't want his glory to be present anymore. Would you pray with me? Altars are open. And uh, if God's spoken to your heart today, then I'm going to ask you to respond to what God's told you to do. He may have told you to have a family meeting this afternoon. He may have told you to give your heart anew to him. He may have specifically said, you know, here's a couple of things in your life that are not well pleasing to me. I, I really want you to deal with those. You see, our Lord's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to help us. Sometimes we need reminding that we are not to presume or assume that God will just let us do whatever we want to do and get away with it or live however we want to live without consequences. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.